0: to another episode of Jackson Talks Everybody. With me, your host, Jackson Stone, and I'm here with one of my best friends in the whole entire world. Um, You might be familiar with him from the very first episode of Jackson Talks Everybody. Um, I'm here with Sam Pack. You you introduced me as Jim the first time, and now you're just gonna confuse people. Also known as Jim. Yeah, one of the professional stuff doers from the previous episode. (laughs) It's also super funny because sam and i have known each other since 2012 12 yeah so in 2012 my real name that's written on my driver's license was not jackson stone then that's correct <laughs> so, uh, as, as the people i'm sure will be reminded of during this
1: podcast because mm-hmm. i have a terrible habit
0: yeah so that's fine <laughs> no I, I talked about it with uh i had cody scroggins on on the podcast he uh plays in the Boston Boston Red Sox organization. And when I met him, I obviously introduced myself as Aaron. And then he followed me on social media and my name is Jackson Stone on social media. And he was like, oh, I just thought that was like your middle name. I was like, oh, that's tight. (laughs) And then I was like, and then I just like went through this like really long tangent about like different names people have called me because when you're on a sports team, everyone calls you your last name. Yeah. So I was mock. Some
1: some version of. Yeah, mock
0: or mash bits or mash or whatever, never Aaron. Then I graduated college, stopped playing baseball, was only Aaron and then I started wrestling and it was only Jackson. And now I'm like like towing the line in between both of those names. So anyways, that's my story. Hello, Sam. Hi, buddy. It's nice to see you. It's It's great to see you. We have this like pretty sweet little setup here in uh, an undisclosed location where Sam and I have met to uh, have some quality time together. Chop it up. To chop it up. So, I mean, I think this this episode will be a lot about baseball. Um, Baseball season's coming up. Today's March 13th? 14th. Today's March 14th. So baseball season starts in a couple weeks. So uh, they're trying to implement some new stuff. So we'll talk about that. Um, Sam and I also played together at South Dakota State University, Division One Baseball. So we'll chop it up about that. For sure. Um, But I have really a very important question to ask you. Send it. And I think you're familiar with it because you've watched a few of these episodes. But you know how important this question is, I think, uh, to us as people to create more uh, inclusion, to create more honest and open dialogue. Um, And so I ask that you answer this question honestly, as honestly as you can for the person that you are. Okay. Um, How are you doing, like for real, for real? I'm good, I'm great. Yeah. I am in a really good place right
1: now. You know, uh, enjoying my career, about to take a new direction Mm -hmm. in that, and I'm very excited about it. Get to move to beautiful California. Right.
0: So pumped about 70 degrees every day um do you think that you feel like you're in a good place specifically because of the career path you've chosen or is it other factors have played into that i mean i think it's always other factors
1: but this is like the thing i'm excited about right now but i mean over the course of the last couple years like i made like a pretty wild decision and since then things have just been consistently getting working towards you know that goal that i've got
0: my eye on right now. Mm. Do you think Do you think things tend to like pa- fall into place as they should as you put the right... We talked about this last night when we were having a few Bud Lights, but <clears throat> um, do you think things tend to fall into place when you're kind of just putting out the right energy? You believe in that? I mean, I think it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, if you're always positive
1: about the direction that you chose and like, you're energized about what you're trying to achieve and you're going after something day in and day out yeah things are going to work out because you're going to work for them mm. whereas people who you know tend to be a little bit more negative as you know i used to be mm-hmm. a very negative person at one point in my life and i started like even small things would just i'd be having a bad day and then if, like one more small thing would be like oh geez i just got a 25 five dollar ticket or something like that yeah and you just if you're in that negative mindset, you see all kinds of negativity and reasons to continue that way of thinking of being negative. And it works
0: the same the other way. In my mind. Yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs> no, I that's that's the point I I try to make often is that because I, I don't know if I give a lot of advice on this podcast, but I talk about things that have specifically worked for me and then always say at the end that I still don't know shit about fuck. Cause that's important, like, especially when we're scrolling through social media and there's people with millions of followers, like explaining their morning routine or explaining how they got successful or how they have 20 million downloads in their podcast. They still are figuring it out too. Yeah. They just happen to have figured it out a little bit more than someone else. And, and I think not,
1: that's important. It's not even necessarily more, like everybody has their own way, like people handle things very differently. Like some people need to open up and like talk about what's going on in their lives and really share just to get it off their chest. And you know me, I'm not that person. I, I compartmentalize stuff and probably not always the healthiest. I know Aaron has had some concerns about me in the past, but yep. that's just how I've always dealt with things. And But I know that I have like a friend group if I did get to the point where I needed to open up and talk to him, I had that lifeline and that's most of the time all I really needed to get through what I was working through just to know that there was somebody I could just talk to Mm -hmm. that's all I needed and I was like okay things aren't that bad and then just reset your mind and look at something different in a different way and things started picking up
0: you um, you said something yesterday on our car ride home that like I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> and so I'm gonna share it today. You said, just because I had a bad 10 minutes doesn't need to mean I have a bad day. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty powerful because, you know, life is lived moment to moment. And the moment that just passed, I'm never gonna get that moment again. The only moment I have is this right here. Was that like a switch that you made just cause you just like, "What? Well, fuck it. I'm not, this is like ruining my day and my life. I'm not gonna just be mad about a whole thing. Or like, did someone tell you, did you read a podcast? Read a podcast, yeah. You read the podcast. I read the transcript <laughs> yeah. of the podcast. It was great, it took me 18 hours. It's cool that they do that, but the people <laughs> who have to write those up for like the Joe Rogan three and a half hour pods, holy shit. No,
1: you, they have it to where you can just like talk and Automated. type. Automated? Yeah, it's talking type. Sometimes there are things they have
0: to go back and like fix. fix. But, but I guess since, I mean, Joe Rogan's got the number one pod in the world, so I guess he's got a pretty sweet team working yeah. for him. He's probably got everything at his disposal.
1: But to get back to your point, it was like a moment. Like I was having a very bad month. It was the January, like I had just come back from New Year's with Uh y'all. And being in early 20s, I did not budget as well as I should have. It's standard. during, During that trip. We're not really taught financial literacy throughout our lives. No. And so I had to be very cautious for the next month about how I was spending money, mm-hmm. I had to make sure I had all my bills covered and stuff like that. And at one point, i I didn't have any cash to go buy food. I had the change in my truck. And I scrounged it all up, ended up with like fifty dollars. And I went to Walmart and paid and changed. And the people behind me were just staring daggers into the back of my head. And I turned around and was like, I'm sorry, but somebody, I got to eat. Right. And, yeah, I was hungry all the time because, like, $50 doesn't buy you a lot. And kind of had to live sort of like that for about a month. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hungry. I'm just pissed off. Stuff at work. The equipment that I needed to work one time all of a sudden just breaks. And it was just this long, I got a, <laughs> I got a ticket for not wearing my seatbelt when my, from my apartment to work was like from here, 400 yards that direction. So pretty tight. I caught the one stoplight and the cop was next to me. He saw you without a seatbelt. Saw me without a seatbelt. Mm. gave me a $25 ticket. Bye and uh yeah so i was just having a very bad day and then the equipment broke and i walk inside and i was i wanted to hit everything i worked by myself so there was no <laughs> there's no people in there and in any danger but i wanted to break everything that was around me and then i walked outside and this was like early january so it was it'd been pretty cold the whole time yeah and i walked outside and the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day out mm-hmm. And I, it stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, "Why are you so mad? Like, what actually happened that was so bad that you are this upset about it?" And it changed my life. Like everything since then, I have not been as quick to anger since then. And yeah, changed my whole perspective. And it was just happened
0: to be a sunny day. Seem like what it is an ordinary moment in our lives. Yeah, I think it's usually that way. Like we we really, I think we really put a lot of pressure on these like amazing big moments in our life, you know? But really like what COVID I think showed us a lot is that when we take away the small stuff, like being able to see our family or go to eat or go to the movie theater or step outside and see the sun is shining. Like those are the moments that if we're, they're taken away, like we actually miss. Yeah. And that's the perspective shift. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that you went through that and yeah. you have to kind of you- i had to like i i was
1: in that place where like i needed a moment like that because things were not gonna just get better without something just stopping me i have no idea what it was right i have no idea why that three seconds of sunlight is what shifted my whole perspective of it but it did so mm-hmm. and yeah i remember exactly exactly when it happened it was awesome.
0: Yeah. Hmm. It's really interesting, though, because I, you know, I talk about it a lot on this show about, like, not waiting for the traumatic event to kind of change your life, right? Because that's what I did, right? I was a fine person before I lost my sister. Yeah. But I feel like I've become a better person, you know, losing her. And so that was the moment in time I was like, oh, I need to, like, I need to figure it out. Like, I need to be grateful. I need to be, like, things can be taken away from you in a fucking instant. And so for me, it was this huge, monumental, life-altering moment. Yeah. For you, it was, like, very was, very small. It was a, just a normal,
1: like, everyday yeah. kind of moment. But it hit, in like, you. I don't know if I was necessarily looking for it, But that's, I think, when it kind of happens for probably a lot of people. It's like, just out of the blue, if you are looking for a reason to be in a good mood,
0: you can find one. For sure. Same thing with being in a bad mood. Yeah, it goes both ways, absolutely. If you're looking for a reason to be in a good mood, you'll find one. Yeah. There's a sports psychologist, his name is Michael Gervais, and uh, he talks a lot about this. He works for the Seattle Seahawks. And he talks about being a researcher of good. So our basically our brains are our brains are wired to remember more of the painful, hard, negative moments. Because yeah. it's, it's a way for us to keep us safe. Like it's important. Yeah. It's a survival instinct. Like we have to we have to remember those. Like this is a bad person. This is a bad place. Something really terrible happened to me. This whatever the case is, we remember those a lot more. Like, because we need to. Yeah. You know. But so that's why you have to really go out, kind of almost go out of your way, to be a researcher of good and find stuff that's like amazing. And when I say amazing, I don't mean like, again, a huge moment, like something amazing in your day could be, you know, it happens a lot in the South, but like someone opens the door for you. You guys smile at each other. There's a nice little, don't say any words. There's just a nice little, thank you, smile, boom, that's an amazing moment. And if you go home at night and you write that down and you write the resulting emotion from that, like interaction, you're researching good and you're teaching your brain to look out for that stuff more often than, you know, the, the painful hard stuff, which is still important to remember to keep us safe. but. You know, we try to have an equal type of balance there.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: It's an interesting way of thinking about it. I never thought about it that way, though. Yeah, me neither. But I took his course and talks a lot about that, like training optimism and training confidence and training gratitude and like how to, because you can kind of, you can't like build new neurons in your brain, but you can rewire them to fire different ways. I think I'm saying that right. I mean, I'm not a a doctor or scientist. You can open up new neural pathways. But you can, yeah, you can open up new neural pathways to make your your body and mind believe different things than you have in the past. So yeah, cool. Nice. Nice. Crushing this episode <laughs> out here doing it. Yeah. I'll suck a little baseball though. Let's do it guy. <clears throat> um, something we're very opinionated about. Yeah. Super opinionated. I'm, I'm much more opinionated about baseball now than if you would have asked me two years ago. Yeah. I'm, now I'm back in the game. Yeah. Back in the game. Got my 13 year old team just getting after it. Um, but I wanna know from your perspective, like, cause I have a 13 year old team now. Most of them are trying to, the goal now for them is to make their high school team, right? Then make varsity and then try to play collegiate level. What was like your, your journey to division one? Cause that's pretty cool, right? Very yeah. few people play division one sports, whether yeah. it's at Duke or South Dakota <laughs> State University. Shout out Mike yeah. Sud. They're all D1. They're all still division one. <laughs> <clears throat> but what's what was your journey there like? You know, what kind of effort or stress or hard work or what? It, like I don't know. Just give me give me the journey. So,
1: like in in high school, like I first off I was very blessed. I had two parents who were very involved in sports. They played sports their entire lives, and my dad would go to the front yard and he would hit me ground balls until we couldn't see anymore it was never his choice like it was always kind of on me but he he fed the fire for sure and i could never thank them enough and like i've attempted to and all the stuff they helped me with as far as like mom getting off work just driving me to a game and Mm -hmm. then taking my sister to her game and all that stuff could never thank them enough um but they really stoked like the fire of like wanting to be better than everyone else. Yeah. And in high school, and uh, I mean, I caught. And nowadays, my body type is a little bit more common than it was then. For a catcher, or for, baseball? for a catcher. Yeah. Because yeah. back then it was always the the five foot four, shoulders as wide as you know these two chairs put together with just tree trunks for legs who wrestled (laughs) in the the offseason yeah and i was never that guy so i always had to i felt like i always had to be so much better than the other person during a game that was my goal i'm gonna be better than the other guy catching and i knew because of my size that i had to be undeniably better Mm. to where like nobody could even make an argument that that person was better than me and i worked on that constantly um there were multiple times i'd get done with the game and i didn't really like how i performed that day and me and my dad would stay in the the batting cages for two hours yeah not good advice don't do that because you're swinging tired and you'll develop bad habits so (laughs) keep that energy but also be smart about how you are trying to get better rest and recovery is an integral part of uh Optimizing human performance. Yeah, and sometimes you have a bad day, and you just need to go home and wash it, and yeah. show up the next day focused on correcting those mistakes. So I had to kind of deal with some of I was getting in my own way a little bit. Yeah, because I wanted to continue to work, and I that that fire of wanting to be better sometimes
0: became detrimental.
1: Yeah, because I didn't take a step back. Mm. And, I didn't have, like, a good perspective on it. I was just so upset with how I performed, and I'm going to fix it right now. And so that led to some bad habits, swinging, and eventually worked through them. Wanted to play D1 at a high school. Learned pretty quickly, like, nobody really was looking for my body type (laughs) in Division I baseball at that point. It's understandable. I played at a mid-level level High school had some success. Uh, ended up going to junior college, and again, like I could never thank the the two coaches that I had there enough. They, I, uh, I always felt like I was pretty smart about the game. Like I felt like I studied it in high school, and then I got there, and I felt like I was taking a master's course. Mm. So they, we would have conversations in between innings, and there, and they'd been in the game probably combined like 60, 70 years at this point. Yeah. So just a wealth of knowledge got poured into my brain over two years. And I was open to it. I think that's a big part of it. Like ask questions, um, be willing to have those kind of conversations because I think too often, especially I saw it a lot when I was coaching, like too often people are so result-oriented. Mm-hmm. You, you can't take away, you can take away so much more from a failure, in especially in sports and in life, than you can from a success. Like, you go up, you hit a double, you feel good about yourself, but what I always told my players was you could punch out your first three at-bats, but if you come up and you've learned from those first three, like, How they're sequencing you, what how what kind of pitches they're throwing and certain counts, stuff like that. And then you come up in the ninth with the game-winning run on second base and you get a hit. Nobody remembers those three punch outs. Everybody remembers that last at-bat. So it's not, it's only failing in sports if you take nothing out of it. Yeah. Because we've all given away at-bats. We've all gone up and just seen an OO cookie and popped it up in the infield. With runners in scoring position. Yeah, and and you always get to hear about it when you get back to the dugout. For sure. And, you know, I was very guilty of that at South Dakota State. Uh, Like, you know you just messed up. You know, and, hey, I just missed it. Yeah. And then you're getting chirped by the coach about, what were you thinking? What are you doing? And then you you get kind of defensive in that like, hey, I just missed it. And that is true, but also you still need to take a second and learn from that at bat. Yeah. And I was bad at that because reasons that people that know us know. Right. And we don't need to get into all that, but. No. But yeah, I didn't. I learned more about the game coaching. And we talked about this yesterday too than than i then i did playing and you know my thought on that was just having to think about it differently yeah because you know what makes you successful and you know what you need to do and how you need to think to make your put yourself in a position to be successful but then when you become a coach you have to learn new ways to say that because i could say something one way and it makes complete sense in my mind right but you might need to hear those words in a little bit different form for it to click and you know coaching for three years at the college level and dealing with those different personalities and having to like try to find those right buttons to push to you know get them to understand and feel was my big thing you've got to be able to feel it because i'm not going to be sitting in the batter's box with you right You've got to be able to feel hips came out a little early and then realign yourself. So be open to different perspectives because there's been so many times, like especially early on in high school, like you hear something from your head coach constantly and they say it the same way and you know what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And then you just have that one person say the same thing in a different way and you're like, it makes Perfect sense yeah. when you say it that way, and then your coach will always be like,
0: "That's what I've been telling you for three months." It's like you're like, "I, I, I just needed a okay. different." I got it now. I Needed a different vibe. Let's just move on from here.
1: <clears throat> We're good now.
0: Yeah, I got a couple, couple points from what you just said. Okay. One. Um, back to Cody Scroggins, who I talked about earlier. He's he 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 basically validated what you're just saying. He said the difference between like a double-A player and a major league starter is that if a double-A player is kind of losing control a little bit or he's stuck, he doesn't know his body that well. He doesn't have enough feel to make the in-game adjustment or pitch-to-pitch adjustment as to why he missed outside by in an inch, you know? But Clayton Kershaw goes up there and he throws a couple pitches that he doesn't like. He, in his head, can already make the adjustment because he knows exactly where his body, his arm, and his need to be going to make a pitch. So it's like those, exactly what you feel, like exactly what you said, like we say in baseball a lot, you gotta have feel. Yeah. Like for some people you don't understand that, but it's just like, it's it's like a knowing, it's like being in a wave with, in a vibe with your body that if I make a bad swing and I fouled it off this way, I kind of have a feel about, okay, what do I need to do the next pitch? Because baseball is a lot about understanding strategy and thinking about that and thinking about what the next pitcher might do but it's also about just not thinking at all at the same time yeah like so it's like it's a it's like there's a lot going on there you know what i mean yeah think about everything but also think about nothing that's why like when you talk about like mental training for baseball like your (coughs) pre-pitch routine or your pre fielding routine or your pre-throwing routine is so important to flush it to know what you need to do but then when that the play is actually starting. You're not. You're in, you're in no mind. You're just in flow. You know, he's letting your body work. Yeah. Um, and that, that, the thinking thing, and like we've
1: all seen this, anybody that's played at a decently high level, at a certain point, like you figure out the guy's tipping his pitch or your guy on second figured out their signs, and there's those guys who say, I don't want to know. And that always baffled me. I'm like, how, do you, how can you not want to know yeah. what this guy's throwing? Because, like, as a catcher, I always had a pretty good sense of how I was getting pitched and how it was going to sequence, especially if coaches were calling it. They are so bad at falling into, like, a pattern. Yeah. And so to your point, like, when I would, you know, get that first pitch, I'd step back out, and I would run through everything that I thought he was going to throw. And I usually... Was I was right more often than I was wrong, but once I stepped back in, I was like, okay, now we're just gonna play. Like this is what I anticipate happening, so I'm just looking for confirmation that that's what's being thrown. Yeah. But I'm not s- sitting. Just it's 1,000 percent gonna be a curveball, and then it's a fastball, and you don't you're you don't allow yourself to be athletic in that position. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you think, I thought about a bunch of stuff pre-pitch, and then I would just take one more deep breath. It's like, okay, now step in and be an
0: athlete. Yeah, trust the, trust your skills. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and then my second point from what you said is you talked about baseball knowledge. And that's something that I've been trying to uh, preach to my kids, right? Because lack of baseball knowledge, um, like knowing where to go with the baseball, understanding cutoffs and relays, understanding uh, how to take the next base or if there's a tag or if there's a force, right? Just like standard baseball knowledge. For us, it seems standard, right? Because we've been around the game for the last, I mean, I started playing baseball when I was like three. Yeah. You know, And so as a, as a 13-year-old kid, it's a, it's a lot of things to digest. You're also figuring out how to throw a baseball, how to hit a baseball, you know, your body's changing. And then someone's asking you to like, learn one of the hardest games in the entire world. Um, but how important do you think, like, just knowledge of the game is?
1: It, I mean, it's obviously, if you want to get to a high level, part of it's going to come from just experience. Yeah. But if you, you can shorten that window of how long it takes you by just kind of being a student and, like, asking those questions that I was talking about earlier. Um, it is very difficult for, you know... 13 up into high school to do that because like you're still going through your last growth spurt you're f- still figuring out how this thing moves yeah and it can be very difficult that's why I wanted to coach college because most of those kids are fully developed by that point they get to me they got to me and we could start having these higher level conversations um but yeah being being a student of it and you know watching even when you're not playing just watching and constantly observing and talking to people like when they're playing, hey, what did you see? What was the pitch sequence there? Did he start you off in or away? And just trying to pour as much of that information into your head as you can, because at a certain point, like if I just tried to tell someone all the things about baseball, like cuts and relays and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you would become like, and if everybody took that a thousand percent to heart, you'd become a robot. Right? Mm. Once you get to a certain level of knowledge, it like frees you up. Be like, okay, this is normally what would happen, but I'm gonna allow myself to just be an athlete and go make plays. Like the person I think of with that statement all the time is Andrelton Simmons. Like I've seen that guy take cuts and everybody in their mom knows like the guy who was on first is making it to third. He's getting in standing up. So there's no point for him to, like, need to make a crazy play. And you see a lot of shortstops, like, kind of take that play off. They'll just catch the ball from the center fielder and move on. But I've seen him countless times take that ball and then throw behind the hitter who, like, rounded first too hard. And so he's just so free because he knows the game so well. Mm. And he's observing even mid-play and looking for a way to exploit a, even a slight mess up. Yeah. where somebody's
0: not not zoned in and not paying attention. I mean, that's ultimate ultimate present moment focus, like, ultimate, like, just being aware of your situation 100% of the time. Yeah. Especially when the ball is live. For sure.
1: That guy is the most cognitive, like, cerebral shortstop. In- instinctual is the word I was looking for. Um, that I've seen. And he's obviously very good and plays at a very high level yeah and he's he doesn't have the strongest arm doesn't have the greatest range but as far as like finding little ways to get outs he's the best
0: i have a question for you clearly this is a podcast mm-hmm. uh, but um you you played you played a little professional baseball yeah so a little bit you you spent two years at South Dakota state um. And they those two years didn't go as you probably expected them to go. No. In terms of, yeah, whatever. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. But at the end of your career as a Jackrabbit, you still had enough confidence in your ability to say that I still want to play or at least try to play at the next level. Yeah. What was that? What's that vibe like? Like what did that, is that like an innate confidence that you just knew that you had some, something more to offer? and you didn't get a fair stake, or what was that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the situation at
1: SDSU was part of it. Because um, I remember the last out our senior year, and I remember being in the dugout and thinking, this is not how it ends for me. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know like, the way forward to continue playing but just kept talking to people figured some things out ended up playing and i i i mean i always had confidence in myself that i i thought i could match up with anybody that was on the other team Mm. so i mean yeah that was part of it um but yeah i was always very confident it was super weird during my playing career i felt like i had two very different personalities like on the field me was i felt was so much different than off the field me. I don't know how you felt about it, you being an outside observer, but being on the field, especially in college, I I felt like I could completely control the entire game. The whole game made sense to me. And at times it was the only thing that did. Like life's crazy. You got tests, you got a million things going on. But once I showed up to the field, I was like, okay, for the next three, four hours, this is the only thing I need to worry about. Everything else falls away. And that's one of the reasons I loved playing. Mm. And one of, probably one of the reasons I kept, tried to continue afterward.
0: Yeah, being a student athlete's hard. It's, it is definitely challenging. There's a, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job to be an athlete. It's a full-time job to be a student and then mixed in there you're trying to live a college experience and and make friends and have fun and and make mistakes because that's part of the journey um it's yeah it's very it's very stressful but it's also a super honor and a privilege but it's it's not easy no it is there it's not if, easy at if all if that's what
1: i mean if that's what somebody wants to do you're going to find a way to make it work <clears throat>
0: but yeah there are definitely times when it is not fun like for us man we were taking 18-hour bus trips, coming back on a Monday morning at like 6 a.m., having to then go to class at 7, and then lift weights at like 11, and then try to take a snooze, and then we're gonna have practice for Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then we might leave Wednesday night at like midnight or Thursday morning to try to get to our game at Friday. You know, it's like 18-hour bus trips, 16-hour bus trips, tests on a bus, in the back of the bus trying to study, and. You know, figure it. It's like, yeah. you know, and then clearing that off, like you said, to go play a game, which is the best part, right? But you try to clear your mind, but sometimes, you know, outside factors weigh in on you. And But that's about being focused on the situation and, and just having fun with the game. But yeah.
1: Nothing like turning on the Wi-Fi hotspot on a bus so that you can take a quiz and then driving through nowhere Alabama and losing service. And yeah. You got to do it all over again. It's hard, man, but it's tough. But yeah, being able to compartmentalize those things was, I always had a pretty easy time with it, not letting things slip in and like getting distracted during games, but I know people, and I mean, it has happened to me before, but I know people who really struggled with it. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, people have a hard time separating their, their lives. Yeah, it's about, it's about time management and figuring out a balance. And whatever you're doing in that moment, whether it's schoolwork or whether it's your sport, you want to be in that moment and doing that, because that's what you're doing. Like you can't pass your math quiz while you're up at at bat facing the University of Alabama. Like this doesn't go hand in hand. No. You know, focus on that. You know, but that's obviously way harder said than done. But you know, it's something that you have to keep in your mind, especially if you want to be a student athlete at any level. Like I don't know what it's like at a super high level, Division One. I assume it's even more intense, um, or you have more help. I don't know, or you have better travel because you get plane rides because we didn't get those. You know, so I, I'm not sure the the difference there. But yeah, if you want if you want to play Division One, you got to get after it. That's all there is yeah. to it. You got to get after it. Um, yeah, I didn't know I was going to play Division One until <laughs> I thought I wasn't going to play college baseball at all until I just like randomly got a call from South Dakota State and they were like, "Hey." We're South Dakota State. We're a Division I baseball program in South Dakota. Do you want to play for us? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> See you in August. Boom. But anyways, <clears throat> enough about me. Back to you. Um, how long do you play pro ball? I played for like two seasons. Played two seasons. And then,
1: and then did what? So I was coaching at the time also so i'd show up kind of maybe like one or two weeks in to the school year in august and then coach the whole year and then would play in like that summer time frame for you know three or four months Mm -hmm. and so yeah i was doing that and had had a very honest moment with myself because I was thinking about playing the next year, yeah. And but it was just so busy, like coaching. And I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna really consider playing this next summer, I need to like start start hitting. My arms in obviously good shape because I was throwing BP all always. And was in the cages one night with some of the players and took like five swings and I was like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm finished. I don't. I have no desire to like continue. Like I'll hit occasionally but I had no desire to like get myself back in playing shape yeah I was like well we're done we're hanging them up how's that feeling uh I mean it wasn't that bad for me because I I mean I got to make my own decision like so many people somebody else tells them that they're done yeah and some of them especially at the college level they kind of make peace with it because they don't anticipate getting drafted and they're already like in a major where they're kind of looking forward to a new career path. Mm. But I got to walk away on my terms and I can't ask for any more than that.
0: Yeah. The hardest part about not playing baseball anymore for me was not having the the team aspect. Yeah. Not being around my, my boys, my dogs, like every single day, all the time. That was the hardest part for me um and it's still hard because i live w- far away from all of my best friends yeah like south dakota sh- seattle chicago colorado cali like soon to be cali. soon to be cali phoenix like that's not that's like we're hitting a lot of parts of the country yeah you know and so that was oh, that's still challenging for me and i'm glad that i got into wrestling like kind of immediately after baseball and I kind of got that team aspect again of like people in a circle um, with like a really strong love and passion for like this one thing that you can build a bond over no matter what your maybe outside views on some different things might be. You can still have that one thing that brings you together and you can find, uh, you know, a common bond in that. But I know that was hard for you. Also, that's kind of why you entered the career path that you're doing now. Yeah. At least I think personally, no, 100%. I think that was one of the factors 100%.
1: Like baseball was such a part of my identity. My entire life, like up through college, like when people wanted to know about me, one of the first things out of my mouth was I'm a baseball player. I'm a baseball player always and that and that was another big reason I wanted to continue playing is cuz I when we graduated, I felt like I lost a part of myself. Mhm. I was like, this is such a big part of my life, has been forever. It's all I've ever thought about. Mm-hmm. And now that's gone. And uh, like, I moved back to Oklahoma, where, like you said, nobody was really close. You were within three hours, but everybody else who I just became so, so close with either still lived in South Dakota or like Nikki moved back to uh, his home state, which is forever and a day away. Yeah, far. And, yeah, really lost a part of myself, and that's why I got into coaching. I needed to be around, like, that team mentality, like, hey, we're all working towards this common goal. Right. And obviously it was a mental shift for me there because, like, I I couldn't be the same person I was when I was playing. Like, you and I were friends, and now I'm being their coach. So it was different, but I, I got enough of it that team vibe to like fill that gap that that void and it is definitely a reason that i went on this new career path yeah because i needed that kind of that family type vibe where mm-hmm. we're all here we're all looking at the same problem we're
0: all trying to figure it out together yeah yeah no one does anything great alone and relationships and connection are the key component to a like a fulfilled life like it's, I mean, that's, it's, that's it. That's plain and dry right there. Like, that's, we need relationships. We need other people. We need, you know, someone to lean on when we're feeling like shit or someone to lean on us when they're feeling like shit and just we're picking up the pieces for each other, you know? <clears throat> so, yeah. Cool. So, you know that I'm from California. I do know that. Born in, born in close, somewhere close to San Francisco. a place called San Mateo. Moved, moved to Texas when I was, like, 11. But you have never lived in a place quite like California before. You spent the majority of your life in Oklahoma. A, a good chunk. And then you spent a few years. Not until I was 18. Then you spent another few really good years in South Dakota. With, yeah, with a pit stop in Kansas for two years. With a pit stop in Kansas <laughs> for two years. Those three states are quite different um, than California. So how are you feeling about living there for at least the next three years of your existence. I'm excited. It's a, yeah. It's a new, new be. adventure. So great.
1: And you know, I've been on the East Coast for like 18 months now and that I would, if I had to guess, is more similar to California yeah. than obviously being in the Midwest or yeah. whatever people consider Oklahoma because we, we don't know our identity. They here. consider it Texas. Yeah, it's like North We're just, Texas. It's all one. Every map I see that says, like, here's the Midwest, it's like, 50-50 whether Oklahoma's going to be there or not. Really? Yeah. And, like, 25% they say the South. I'm like, it doesn't really feel like the South. If you're going by, like, some people's accents, then I guess okay. And then some people call it, like, the West. <laughs> the, the Southwest. I'm like, okay. Just, we could just pick one. <laughs> and Texas is just Texas. They don't fall into any category. Yeah, we're just...
0: We're just a big old state of Texas. Don't say we.
1: You're not Texan. You just live there.
0: You're right. I. You're right. But I... What, yeah, okay. But we, I don't have
1: anything else to say to that. You're right. You're as Texan as Elon Musk. He just moved there, too.
0: Yeah, and Joe Rogan and... Yeah. Uh, and my boy Matthew McConaughey is the reason I bought a Lincoln. <laughs> Shout out Matthew McConaughey. Uh, just loved the soft-spoken ads. Just got me. <laughs> he, he just... Reeled me right in. This guy was in the Lincoln Lawyer. This, this car must be good. Um, yeah, but I'm excited for you to live out there. I'm also excited to visit you because you'll be a, somewhere near San Diego. Yep. Which is uh, like top three favorite cities in the United States of America. I spent a summer there playing baseball and it was incredible. I don't actually go into the ocean though. That's a, I'm very afraid like a shark will eat me. But I do very much enjoy just like being in the beach scene, like sitting on the sand, maybe having a, a pina colada. You know what I mean? That's a vibe. I trust your judgment. We'll go there. I'm gonna visit. <laughs> We're we'll gonna go there. But I'm excited for that for you. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting experience. Either way, interesting for sure, and new and fresh and yeah, and awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm bringing the. Uh, the southern hospitality whether they like it or not
1: <laughs> they'll like it for sure i don't care if you're 18 year old chick working at walmart you're getting called ma'am
0: like sorry that's just how it is so i was raised yeah yeah out of res- i just out of respect that's how you say it you've always said it as long as i've known yeah. you yeah i don't know if you've ever called me sir but no but that's because you're a slapdick. <laughs> <laughs> thanks dick cheese whatever dude um, okay so I got, I got some heavy hitter questions here Oof. and, are, and are some closing thoughts maybe we'll see so everyone knows that Barry Bonds is my favorite baseball player of all time I wore his jersey yesterday even though he was kind of mean to me the two times I met him <laughs> when I was younger <laughs> but I forgive him for that and I believe he now is an outstanding human being But regardless of all of that, he's the best baseball player of all time. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on that subject matter? He is... Mostly the Hall of Fame stuff. You can comment
1: on the best of all time, too, if you want. I mean, he's definitely in the conversation. Even before, like when he's in Pittsburgh, before, like, it's at least thought that he started taking steroids. He was one of the... He was the Mike Trout of that generation. Sure. Yeah. And... So, yeah. I mean, there's no argument that he is one of the greatest baseball players to ever play the game. Uh, The Hall of Fame argument, I... I go back and forth. Because, like, obviously, a lot of those guys, undeniable talents, regardless of their steroid usage or not. And...
0: I don't mm, I don't think it's going to happen for him. I mean, I don't think it is going to either. But that doesn't mean I don't want him to be in there. I I struggle with that. Just cuz you think it's uh hey, I don't do you have a do you have a deep I, reason.
1: I, I mean, at what point do you like where do you delineate okay what's okay then? Like I feel like you kind of in a way sanction it by allowing it. Sure. And I had kind of a similar argument with the whole Houston Astros thing. Like, how does nobody who is actually like doing it and responsible for it get any kind of punishment? Yeah, why weren't they penalized? And I understand like a lot of people the people I've talked to's argument is like, well, how do you determine who was, like, responsible? Are you going to ban the whole team for a season? And I don't know what that looks like, but it seemed like like people are going to find a way to get, skirt the rules
0: mm-hmm.
1: one way or the other. And I think, like, the guys who bet on baseball in 1918 are still banned for life and they've been dead for 40 years Mm -hmm. but somebody like actually goes a whole season like cheating documented you can go back and watch the games and hear them banging on things in the dugout right and there wasn't really much made of it like the the manager gets fired and there's like things saying that he tried to he went in there and destroyed one of the computers to try and prevent it from happening. And you fire the front office guy, but nobody who actually perpetuated it really gets a punishment. Carlos Beltran's probably the only one because he took the coaching job and then immediately had to resign mm. for being a part of it. So I think he's doing an under the table, two, three year suspension, and then he'll get hired in like next year, year after
0: as a head coach. Cause he a brilliant baseball mind. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that because baseball has a history of like of cheating yeah we we're always kind of trying to take everything to the edge like whether it's you know pine tar or whatever this and that you know our teammate trying to steal signs when he's on second base just like flashing you some stuff if he sees that do you think that culture of baseball has something to do with people really trying to take it? to the next level now and using technology instead of just, you know, human resources, which are on the field, to have it taken advantage? Like, you know, or is that, you think that steroids perpetuated that or? I just, I think it's a product of the, <clears throat> the game is freaking hard. Yeah.
1: In like an incremental advantage over an entire season can be the difference between you winning your division or completely missing the playoffs. And like a lot of it early on is just like gamesmanship stuff. I just stole, I tried to steal signs every time I was on second base, Uh, every time. And I was always looking for an advantage. And I think that's in bounds, like, cause I caught, I knew people were trying to steal my signs constantly and. If I'm not aware enough to like make that adjustment, and okay, my signs are either too easy or they've had so many, so much foot traffic on second base that they have enough information to figure it out. So that's kind of on me and just being aware. But once you start bringing in the technology piece, that's when it it gets real dicey because now you can outsource that part of the game to somebody who's sitting in a room Mm -hmm. rather than your ability to kind of play the game within the game. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I was trying to say. But you got that. Yeah, we we've had a lot of these conversations, so I feel like we, we see eye to eye on a lot of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Totally.
1: But yeah, everything that if the players are the ones picking it up in game. that's inbounds to me
0: part of the it's part of the deal yeah yeah
1: i don't consider that cheating i consider that taking advantage of somebody i would mostly blame the catcher on that like if he's not paying attention enough to realize that he's being lazy with the signs or something He's being lazy or just like sometimes they just pick him up. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes they just have a book on you and they they figure it out quickly. Or they have a guy out on second base who's just incredibly smart and figure something out. Cause it just takes that one time where you've like stumble through a sequence and then you gotta restart it and then they <coughs> figure something out. And that that's completely fair play to me. Because it's the actual player's ability to figure that out that gives his team that advantage. Like, while
0: the game is going on. Yeah. Like, there's no stop, There's not stopping. Yeah. Like, the, the pitches are happening, the plays are happening, and you're, you're figuring that on the go. Um, I think it's very similar to, like, you know, maybe a quarterback, you know, reading the defense and figuring out their schemes. That's why he's calling audibles and whatever. I think that's, that's similar to just in-game adjustments. Yeah. Um, much different than using technology from someone in an office, like you said, just swiping signs. Yeah, that's that's bad, Yeah, bad news for me. It's bad for the game. It makes it look bad, it takes away the honor of it, because baseball's an, an honor game. For sure. An honor, honor, honorable game, that's the word I yeah. wanted. Um, Hardest game in the world. Yeah, which is a fantastic segue <laughs> into my final question of this beautiful morning. With this nice background. It is gorgeous out here today. It is really nice today. Yeah. (sighs) What has the game of baseball taught you about life?
1: That is a deep question. I wish you would have prepped me for that one. No, no prep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh... We spent the last two days together. I've been prepping you with all my deep questions.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, but I want to give you, like, a,
1: a real answer, and if I had some time to think about it, I'd probably... You
0: can think about it. Yeah, but then we've just got static air. I'll give you... I'll, I'll, I'll plug some stuff. I'll give you a second to breathe. <laughs> okay. This episode of Jackson Talks, Everybody, is brought to you by... Oklahoma University Sooners. Thanks, Oklahoma. Actually, though, for real, though, um, if you're watching this show, you can, uh, if you're feeling up to it, if you're wondering how you can support me or this show, um, there's a few ways to do that. You can go to jacksonstone.net and you can subscribe to that. So you get a weekly newsletter every Friday, um, and then you'll get the episode that drops every Tuesday in your inbox. Um, there's also merchandise on that site. Um, you can also subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash jacksonstone. Um, there's a bunch of tiers on there, and every single tier, a portion of your proceeds goes directly to the You Are Loved um nonprofit, which is directly going to help some uh, mental health initiatives, support, care, research, awareness. Um, so those are just a couple ways that if you're feeling like supporting the podcast, you can. Um, but the best way to support the podcast is to just share an episode with your friends, one that you really like. Share a clip that you really resonated with. Share with a friend. Tell them to comment, to subscribe, rate, rate us on Apple. I say us, it's just me, Um, and Ben, who edits all this. Shout out to Ben, what a rock star. Um, And uh, yeah, so those are a few ways you can support. Um, And also, if there's something that you didn't like or something that you think I can do better, you know, shoot me a message. I'm trying to get better at podcasting, Um, just like anything else in my life. Strive to be 1% better every day. Um, But cheers, that was my plug for all my stuff, as well as our unofficial, official, official, unofficial, official, unofficial, unofficial, (laughs) <laughs> On a, oh, man. Wow, got caught up there. But also, you should check out OU softball team because I watched a couple of games this weekend with Sam, and they're the best team in the country, and they got some fucking rock star players. Whoa. Um, so I think that was about two or three minutes to give Sam enough time to uh, mull over and ponder this super amazing question that I asked him, um, which is going to be the closing question of this podcast and this episode. Um, so here we go. Sam Pack, what is baseball taught you about life? Well, the, the issue was more
1: trying to narrow it down to fit into not an extra hour onto this segment. We're good. We got time. Yeah, because, I mean, there was there's a lot of crossover, I, I feel like, especially now, Having been done, even when I was coaching, I saw a lot of carryover between the things that you learn on the field and the things that you learn in practice, and then things that you go through in life. Um, one of them was just, you know, taking ownership and being able to control the things that you have an immediate control over, the things mm. that you can actually impact. Mm. Because there, there's, there were days in college where you know. I had the day off, and then the team gets no hit or something like that. And, like, obviously, as we all lost, the team gets the L, not the players. Right. And, but, I mean, my ability to impact wasn't as high that day because I wasn't playing, but that's not to say that you can't impact. The bench gets no app. People on the bench get no app hats, but they can still impact the game. Like if they're paying attention, they pick something up from the pitcher that he's doing, gives you a higher chance to win. So you know, finding ways to to make a difference in even if it's a small incremental difference, it c- it can make all the difference in sports. And same goes with life. Like when you know you could help somebody out by just having a conversation with them. They might be dealing with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and a conversation doesn't even need to be about like what's going on in their lives. Sometimes they just need to talk to somebody just about nonsense for, yeah. for a little bit. Um, so that was obviously something that I learned growing up and then you know playing the game and something I didn't learn to appreciate until afterward. Uh, and yeah, there's a, there's a million things.
0: There's a million things and I had another one and now I got talking and I spaced. I mean, that's a big key, right? Controlling what you can control. Yeah. And then the other one, is ha- like, for me, was always failure. Just learning to deal with it? Yeah, because baseball, when you're, when you're playing, there's always another opportunity. Like, if I'm on I'm the field and I just booted a ball, damn, happened a lot, booted it. Baseball is so romantic and poetic that I'm going to come up the next inning or the next time I come up to the dish, it's going to be an opportunity. Yeah. There's going to be a runner-on scoring position. There's going to be some sort of moment there where I can pick myself back up. Or, like in life, your teammates pick you up. I boot a ball. Now the guy's on fucking third. Two outs. We're up by one. My pitcher picks me up strikes the guy out. We're out of the inning. No harm, no foul. Right. So there's always an opportunity to uh for another play for another pitch like there's a big saying in baseball so what next pitch right it can be the same you know attitude in life and then when the game is over you go back and you look at that and you learn from that failure the same way you would if something happened in your life um and then also another key factor would be the people in your life who support you picking you up yeah and those things are stuff that i learned like I'm the best hitter on the team if I'm getting on, if I'm hitting three out of ten times. Yeah. Where, where other job in life allows you to do that? You'd be canned. Not many. Right? But that's one goes to show you how hard the sport of baseball is because hitting a baseball is the hardest thing you can do in all of sports. Um, if you ever try to hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that goes like this <laughs> uh, with a bat that's like 35 inches long and you have like zero seconds to think about if you're going to hit it or not, I'd give it a try. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah, give it a try. I don't know where you're going to find just like a random person who throws 99 because if you do find them, send them my information so I can then be their agent I can get them a big-time contract. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that yesterday. Like, the way sports are portrayed or baseball is portrayed
1: on TV, you cannot get a true appreciation for how fast that is until it is coming in it's a foot and a half away from you. Yeah, until it. it's whizzing by your, your face. Or by your face. That... <coughs> Like That'll make you uh, make sure your affairs are in order. <laughs> yeah. I remembered the other one that I was gonna say. Okay, here we go, we're back. So the other thing that it taught me and really hammered home was like being able to control your emotions. Mm-hmm. Because anybody that's played Little League knows the kid that comes in and just starts bombing his gear after he makes a bad play or punches out. And we all have at some point have had that moment. Mm-hmm. For sure. And for me at least, it took me seeing someone else do it and being like, wow, you look so terrible right now. Don't be that person. And so, from a hitting perspective, I never really did it, but even more so, catching and like trying to manage the different personalities that would come on the mound, you have to treat every single one of them differently. But you also have to like instill like confidence into them. You have to have them feel confident about you and what, like the pitches you're calling and your ability to control the running game or, you know, block balls in the dirt. And you could be having a, that's what I loved about catching so much. I could have just not a good day at the dish, but I could impact the game so much behind the plate. And being able to, despite having a bad day at the plate, walking back out there, If I had a bad at bat, I would. My goal was to just throw the piss out of the ball down to second base, and that was the end of it. Mm. Okay, now I'm done. That was your release. Now I'm focused on what I have to do to get us back in the dugout, back on offense. And so, yeah, that was big. And when I was coaching, I told my players, kind of my philosophy from the catching perspective, as far as the mental side, is you have to. You have to look like everything that just happened is exactly what you thought was going to happen. Don't get spun up. Don't get wrapped around the axle about not getting a called strike, or at least don't show it outwardly. You can have that conversation with the umpire and be like, hey, that was a little off. Okay. Knowing full well that was a strike and trying to cultivate that relationship with the umpire while also trying to kind of be the intermediary, the on-field coach, trying to execute this guy's game plan, while also managing the personality that is on the mound, which we all know, some of those pitchers are crazy. Mm-hmm. And you have to find the right way to motivate them. Yeah. And a big part of that is like being able to control your own self. Because if you have a guy who is very prone to getting like wound up and energized, if you start showing that you're pumped up, it's going to pump him up even more. And then balls are just going to get sprayed all over the backstop. So that, that was something that I took a lot of pride in, was just knowing how to handle each one of those individuals, knowing who I needed to like kick in the butt a little bit to get them where they needed to be and who I needed to like calm down and talk to and be like, Hey, relax, here's the situation. Here's exactly how we're going to approach this guy. All right, let's go execute or go out and tell them a joke. Did that all the time. I don't know how many of those you were on the mound for. No. But it was a great way to snap them out of that, oh, I should have got that call. And just walk out there and just say something off the wall. Like, what would chairs look like if our legs bent the other way? (laughs) Did it all the time. It was one of my favorites. That's a good one. Because they look at you like you've got 15 different eyes and they're all looking a different direction. But it breaks that little cycle that their brain is going through. Right. Being upset.
0: So they can refocus.
1: Yeah. And if they
0: think I'm crazy, that's just a bonus. Yeah, then they're thinking about you and not themselves. Yeah. But, I mean, it's all—it all, it all that what you're saying all boils down to just getting to know the people that you're working with on a level that you understand them enough where you can say one thing or do one thing and it brings them back to where they are. And that's what coaches need to do, right, to get to know their players so we can express constructive criticism in a way that's going to resonate with the player and not shrink them down. And it's all like what I said before relationships and connection. And that's the basis of sports. That's the basis of life. Right? So, yeah. So I urge you listeners to, to dig a little deeper into the sport of baseball and how really quite beautiful it is. Um, and how many lessons it can teach us, our kids, or just people in general about life and I really think that it can make you believe um, in the impossible. So yeah, that's what baseball taught me. Yeah. Very romantic game. It is very romantic. Take your significant other on a, on a date to a baseball game. Fireworks promise. Yeah. Especially if you get a hot dog and some cotton candy ballpark food. Yeah. It's an electric city. Yeah. Um,
1: if yeah. any of the listeners, if you have any thoughts on the new rules in the minor leagues, Jackson and I didn't get into that. We didn't, but, but we're going to. We're going to have another episode. We do have some strong opinions, and we would love to hear yours.
0: When I, when I visit my, my friend Samuel in his new city, we're going to have a part, a part dose. Yeah. We'll get an update about California, and we will have seen ample amount of time pass with these new rules being implemented so we can see how they actually play out. Uh, on the minor league level, Um, and that's exciting. Yeah, and we'll be in the midst of baseball season And we're gonna film it right in the middle of the beach where everyone is walking around us, so you can't hear the audio, but the visual is so tight. Yeah. Because that's what a podcast (laughs) episode is about. It's like a good beat in a song. It doesn't matter what the lyrics are as long as the beats go. Yeah, if you were just watching an hour of just... Just... Just oceanside. Waves crashing. Yeah, sweet. but, uh, yeah, you got any closing remarks, questions, comments, concerns, funny stories, anecdotes? I
1: mean, I've got a million, but I think this is, this is a good place. This is a good place this to a stop. a good place to stop. People keep listening, share. Open up about the Jackson Stone podcast. Or just in general about. Tell them, tell them how much, tell everyone how much you love it. Yes. Thanks, Sam. Make it a movement. Start the hashtag now. Hashtag Jackson Talks Everybody. Hashtag huh. Watch It Now. Hashtag all episodes one
0: day. Hashtag. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> That's it. Um, no, but for real. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate you Man, as always. It's lovely to see you. Yes, you're fantastic. You, I love you with all my heart. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for watching. Hope you guys have an awesome day. And uh, yeah, cheers. We yeah. out.